So honestly, okay, let me just throw out with this question. How many people actually experienced the extra hour of sleep today? How many people actually did? Okay, I was going to say, you look around and those people are the ones who don't have kids, you know, but Jacob here must just stick it with his wife, you know, it's probably what ends up happening. But let me just tell you this, you know, I don't ever expect to actually gain that hour with three kids who don't change with the daylight saving time, but um, I did not expect, so for you guys who are complaining because you have kids like I would, please realize that I had it much worse this morning, so this morning... You know, I'm, I'm planning on sleeping as long as I can, and not, I just came off a night schedule, so I wasn't planning on sleeping long, but at least till about 7, but come around 5.45 out of nowhere, every smoke alarm in my house decides to go off at 5.45. Yeah, it's a little disappointing, just a little. But you know, I, I'm, I'm very calm, and I, I, I handle these things really well. I saw no smoke, and so I was shut off the breaker, all to come to find out that they do detect uh, um, carbon monoxide, so maybe that wasn't the smartest idea. So I figured I'd better call the ambulance or call the fire department. And they came out and said, you just need to change your batteries. And by the way, and by the way, it is annual change your battery in the smoke alarm day. If you guys didn't know that, change your batteries because they will set off your entire system and you'll be disappointed. So anyway, so... It's been about nine months since I've preached last year. It's been a while. Um, and so might be off my game a little bit, you know, because, I don't know, it's been nine months. So we'll end up seeing how this goes. But for those of you who um, have been praying because you thought I've backslidden, um, let me kind of give you a little bit of an update of where I've been. Basically, nine months ago, I took a different job, job in the oil field. And with the oil field comes, obviously, the schedule that comes with it. Usually you're working two weeks on, you work 14 days straight, and then you get two weeks off, but then a lot of times you're working a lot longer and a lot less time off, and then vice versa, you have way too much time off and things like that. So um, I, I have been a little hesitant to kind of get back into preaching because uh, my family and I have just been adjusting kind of to the schedule. You know, like, what is it that I can handle? What is it that my family can handle? And having a hard time wanting to kind of get committed. But that's been the main reason why I haven't been up here. But overall, we're getting to the point where I think we're getting kind of an, a handle on what, what this life is going to be like. You know, at least aware of what the schedule is going to do to our family and what I'm capable of kind of pulling off that would be healthy for the family. So we're hopefully going to be, um, because, you know, someone like me, I love to preach and I miss it. I've missed it very much. You know, so hopefully can kind of get in, in more of a routine. And this text today um, is absolutely one that I am thrilled about. Um, I genuinely believe that this is a extremely applicable text. And I would ask you, so, ask you guys before we pray here to just prepare your heart to listen to this truth. Because this truth is a truth that we will need as Christians. We will need to grab hold of this in times of our walk with God. And, and so we want to be prepared to listen to what God has to say and what God declares as truth. Because sometimes we don't always feel like it's true. But we have 
to believe that it's true. And we have to live in light of that. So let's prepare our hearts to soak this in and, um, and listen to God's word. So pray with me, and uh, we'll ask God for his help. Lord, I, uh, I think that often I rely on myself. And in this passage, I realize that I need you, and relying on self will... Um, ultimately lead to failure and pain and helplessness. So as I preach, Lord, may your strength lift me up and may your words be clear to the body that is here. May they be encouraging. May they provide hope. And uh, we ask for hearts to be soft and uh, lives to be changed. And we can do this in your power and your power alone. In your name we pray. Amen. So yeah, like Justin said, we started... Um, 2 Corinthians, and like any letter you begin to study, um, a letter that is written to a specific recipient has some context that goes with it. You know, like, if we're going to study this letter, the context is utterly important because there are things that are said at certain times because of what's happening, because of the relationship with the writer and the church, because of what the writer is aware of of the church. You know, and so the context is, is vitally important, and since this has been the fourth, at least what we know of, the fourth letter that Paul has written to the church of Corinth, there were some major contexts that Justin had to cover last week. You know, and this context is stuff that we're going to constantly refer back to. We're going to constantly be saying, okay, this is why... Paul is saying what he's saying right now. This is what he's been going through. And so much of what we're going to talk to today, we're going to reference back to that. But um, in our text today, if you guys want to grab your Bibles, is going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3 all the way through 11. And so grab your Bibles, turn there. From the get-go, what Paul does is he starts to declare this truth about God. He just begins to shout out this, like I said before, this utterly important truth about God. And, and from this, though, this truth does, just doesn't come out from en- just nowhere. This truth comes from an experience that Paul has just dealt with. And from that experience arises this declaration of that truth. So before we go on and we preach these very solid truths about who God is, what I want to do is I want to dive into the middle of our section, and I want us to look at the experience where this, church, where this truth arises from. So I want us to look at what Paul just went through. And from that, we're going to see why Paul has this tone of just joy, tone of just utter excitement as he declares the truth on who God is. But we're going to start by looking at Paul. And when Paul goes and explains the experience that he has, he then concludes it saying, this is why I had the experience. And when we hear that, this is where you're going to see it very applicable to our lives. You're going to see it relate very commonly to a Christian. And then, after we get to that point, we can go back and we can begin to soak in the solid truth that Paul wants to proclaim. So, Starting in verse 8, that's where we get into the story of what Paul is declaring of chapter 1. Some brief reminder 
text, okay? So Paul had just written 1 Corinthians, okay? And again, all this is what Justin spoke on last week, so be very good for you guys to listen to that again as we continue studying. But he just wrote 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was written out of this awareness that Paul um, received that the church had actually fallen into sin. There were sin issues that Paul wanted to deal with. So as he heard about all the issues that, First Corinth, that the Church of Corinth was having, he dealt with that in the letter of 1 Corinthians. Okay, then he got word back that they really weren't responding to his letter. And this is where I think when you read 2 Corinthians, you hear that Paul actually physically went to the Church of Corinth himself. And you know this because you look at 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, and this is what it states. It says, Paul saying this to the church, but I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. So there was this time that Paul had come, that he came to the church, and it was a sorrowful visit. It was not a delightful visit. It was a visit that caused him much grief and caused him much pain. And he's saying, I, I did not want to come and do that again. Okay, and what the reason this was so sorrowful is because when Paul went to the church, do you know what he found? What he found is he found the same sins, the same issues, all the iniquities and the problems that he had addressed in, in 1 Corinthians were still within the church. Nothing had changed. And then to add on that, he found something else. He found that a mutiny had begun. That there were these false apostles these false teachers that had risen within the church and they were doing their best to try to discredit Paul and his doctrine. And they would accuse Paul of being sinful, of not being a true apostle. And Paul enters into this and he sees not only the sin of this church that he loves deeply, but now he sees the church in danger of falling into heresy and falling into a carnal church. And so Paul is broken, and he leaves, and the visit to him was completely sorrowful. And so, he writes a third letter. And this third letter is not 2 Corinthians, this is a letter we don't have, but what we know from it is that it was a very harsh letter. It was a very severe letter. It's often been described that way. It's the severe letter. And basically, what we get from 2 Corinthians, how he describes the letter, is that it was Paul basically just letting the church have it. It was him ultimately just, just, just going at it in a very harsh way. And he writes this letter, and the way he describes it, he'll say this in, in chapter 2. He says, Out of much affliction and anguish, of my heart I wrote to you. This was a letter that just broke him. It was so hard to write this letter. But in, in, in chapter 7 he even says that I initially regretted writing it. It was so hard that I, I, I did not even want to write it. Up until I realized the result of the letter. And the result of the letter was repentance. They repented. They came back. And so Paul was like, I am relieved that the letter did that. And from that relief is where we're getting 
2 Corinthians. That's the context. So Paul is joyful. Paul is happy. But at the same time, is very much aware that those apostles, those false teachers, are still within the church. And their slanderous accusations towards Paul have not stopped. And one of many being the accusation that all of Paul's persecution, all of the trials that the church is hearing that Paul is going through, all of that is a punishment from God. This is what the false teachers were trying to, to feed the church. Look, Paul is not an apostle. The reason he's being persecuted is because he's sinful. He's unfaithful. God is just laying on to him punishment. He is, he's a failure. He's, he's, he's a fake. He's immoral. He's an embezzler. He's phony. And God is just simply punishing him for a sin. That's the lie that occurs. And that is what Paul is dealing with in our section right now. He wants the church to realize that his, his trials, his persecution is not because of sin, but because God has a different purpose in it. And so that's where he picks up. Starting in verse 8, this is what he's trying to describe. He goes in verse 8 and, he's, and he describes the situation that occurred in Asia. And so he starts by saying this, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. So there's this trouble that occurred in Asia with Paul and it looks like someone else. Okay? And this trouble, he is concerned that they are unaware of it. That he does not want them to be ignorant. He does not want the church of Corinth to be unaware of this trouble. Now catch this. He is not concerned that they're ignorant about the details. Because if they were ignorant of the details, that is what Paul would describe at this point. So he's not concerned that they're ignorant of it. They obviously know what had happened to Paul. But the issue is they did not realize the severity of it. The intensity of it. What Paul wanted them to be sure of knowing is the immense severity that he was dealing in the midst of this trial. And that's what he goes on to describe. He doesn't go on to describe the details of what happened. We have no idea what happened. We don't know if this is a physical persecution where he's being stoned. We don't know if he's simply just being mocked or what it might be. All we know is that this was extremely severe, and this is how he describes it. He says it this, this way. For we do, not, we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure. That we were burdened beyond measure. This phrase, beyond measure, and you've got you to really feel this for a moment. This literally means that he is unbearably crushed to the point of depression. That Paul, in this trial, has, has come into the situation where the pain is so unbearable that it has brought him to a place of depression. Now that might not mean something to us who maybe are not as strong as this guy, 
But we have to realize who Paul is. This is the Paul that could not be stopped, no matter what. This was the Paul that in Acts 14 was stoned. Okay, he was literally killed by stones being thrown at him. They drug him out of the city. His limp body gets up, and he goes right back into the city that just stoned him. This is the guy who does not stop. He is a go-getter, he's on mission, and he will keep going to the end. And he describes that this trial brought him to the place where it was unbearable. He could not handle it anymore. And it brought him into an emotional state of depression. And he adds this, They were burdened beyond measure and above strength. At this point, this trial has left Paul to where he has nothing left. He has no ability to get back up. There is nothing that is going to energize him at this point in his human nature. There is nothing that he can do to, to get himself pit. It is unbearable. He is broken. So much so that he goes on and he says this. So that we despaired even of life. He's at this point now where he simply has lost all hope. It's over for him. No strength, no hope. This word despaired that he says, despaired of life in the Greek is a, is a very long word. And I guess in the middle of it, you'll get where we get the word passage. And basically what the word really helps define is that there, he was left with no passage, no way out. He is doomed. And he had nothing left. To give. Broken. He's without strength. Emotionally unbearable. Depressed. And hopeless. And so. He makes a judicial claim. And he says this in verse 9. Yes we had the sentence of death. In ourselves. He claims it. He says it's over. I'm done. I am going to die. And this had to crush time because at this time, he knew his work was not done. It isn't like in, in a Timothy passage where he says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. At that point, he knew he, his mission was done and he's about to die. At this point, he had much more to do and he knew it. But at this point, he's got nothing left to fight. Got nowhere to go. I'm emptied. I'm without strength and I have no hope left. I'm dead. I am doomed. And this begs the question, an important question to ask, why would God 
bring his child through so much anguish. And it might very well be the question that you came in here wondering about what's going on. It might be a question that you've asked in regards to trials in your own life. Why would God, my father, allow his child to be in a position where there is complete absence of hope at points in life? That there's a complete absence of strength or even joy in a moment to bring us in a spot of depression. Why would God allow his children to go through something like this? Where the pain is so unbearable, the hope is lost. Look at verse 9. Second part of that. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. The purpose behind this horrible trial was so that we, it's that Paul would not rest in his own strength but in the power of God, the God who raises the dead. That's the purpose. And church, this is so important for us to catch because throughout Scripture, you will see a very common experience through believers. An experience where the trial... The pain, the ache, the struggle, whatever may be, becomes so unbearable for the Christian. Becomes absolutely overwhelming. That often, it leads the people to ask, God, where are you? Throughout the Psalms, you hear this cry, God, where are you? I I feel like I'm on my own. I've got nothing left. I've got no, no way of getting back up. I'm stuck. I can't begin the amount of times that I, in my walk with God, I I have prayed and I've said, you know, Lord, I know what's true. I mean, I, 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 I genuinely believe that you are a loving God. I, I genuinely believe that you are merciful, that you are good. I know here, I know here that you'll never leave me. I know it. But right now, here, I do not feel it. I, I, I do not I do not feel you close. I do not feel that, I, that you're strengthening. I do not feel you. 
I don't know, I mean, some of us might have walked here in this room at the point in which we're saying, you know, if, if God does not show up at this point, I, now I, I'm in big trouble. I, I really need God to show up. I, I've got nothing left. I've got no strength left. I, it's unbearable. Whether it's, it's the temptation that, that you've been fighting for so long and, and you've been warring with your flesh and you've gotten to the point where I, you can't handle it in, anymore. It's, it's such, such a hardship. You're about to break down and you're about to give up and you don't know what to do. Maybe it's the experience that you had years back that the memories just keep coming back and, and it, they keep haunting you and it's, it's an ache that is unbearable. That you're at the point where strength is lost. It's family is, is, is crushing your heart. Your children are wandering and, and you're, you're broken and, and you're like, Lord, I... I I don't know how I can keep going. This is killing me. God will allow you to come to that point so that you can learn to rest in the God who raises the dead. That trial is meant to bring you to a spot where humanly there is nothing left you can do. It is meant for you to experience the God of all comfort. They say that if you ever um, call upon, if you ever call, you've ever been called on to rescue someone who is drowning, that if you actually would be thoughtful about it, the time that you would actually go to save them is when they actually fall in for the final time. Because if you try to go and rescue them when they are humanly fighting to stay alive, the potential is for you to die, you to be drowned. Sometimes it takes that person to finally just give up and rest for that person to actually be saved, to experience what God really wants you to experience. So that's the reason. That's the reason why we go through trials. The question is, when we're in that spot, what do we do? How do we handle that? I mean, what do you do when your, your mind is there, but your heart isn't? I mean, what do you do when there's that gap between the two? Where you say, I know the truth, but man, I don't know how to experience the comfort of God. I don't know how to rest in that. And throughout Scripture, and going back to the Psalms, you'll see this, this very common phrase, and it's this phrase, wait on the Lord. A call that is not an easy call. Um, if you remember in Psalms chapter 42, the psalmist kind of is going through something that's very similar. 
and he's dealing with this gap between his head. He initially comes out and he says, I know I need God. My, I, I long for God. I know I need him. But then he says, and he's talking to himself, and, and he says, but why are you so downcast, my soul? Why, why are you so quiet? Why are you so dead? Where is the life? Where is the strength? Where is the hope? You know that you know that God loves you. Why are you so downcast? And you know what he preaches to himself? He goes and he preaches this message. And he says to himself, Wait or hope in God. Hope in God. That is the message that he preaches to himself over and over again in the midst of this gap and wondering and the, the lack of strength. It's this message to rest in God, to wait on God. Why? Look at, look at 1 Corinthians chapter, verse 3 now. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. You rest in this God. You wait on this God because this God is the God of all comfort. He is the source of all comfort. Outside of Him, there is no real comfort. But you can wait on Him because from Him you will receive the comfort that you need. And this word comfort is not the way that we normally would use it. You see, we, we think of comfort as being in Hawaii in a hammock by the beach with no worries at all. That's comfort to us. But that's not what he's, that's not what he's declaring here. This is not a synonym for ease. It's not a synonym for softness. It's a synonym for courage. For, for bravery. It's a synonym for strength. Paul is not saying that in my trial, God gave me a cushy life, that everything was easy at that point. What Paul is saying, that through that trial, when I was without strength, God came in and He gave me strength. He gave me courage. He gave me boldness. To go on. And often we have a tendency to seek comfort in places that really will not provide what we need. Often it's the drink when things are hard and we can't bear it anymore. Sometimes it's easier to just take some alcohol. Sometimes it's in buying things. That new toy, if I just get this, you know, it'll take, I can be entertained for a little bit. Sometimes it's in companionship. But in the end, the only pure strength that we can get in the midst of our trials, is in, well, none of that will satisfy. The only is in God himself. The God of comfort. 
So how do we wait on the Lord? How do we rest in the Lord? You position yourself under the, the, the waterfall of grace. And you wait as you walk in obedience. You rest. Because those who wait on the Lord, He shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. God may bring us to these trials so that we can experience what receiving comfort from God is really like. Some of us, as, as I speak, have been through that trial and have actually experienced that comfort. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm going, what, what it feels like to be strengthened by God when there is nothing left that you had. And to realize this is what Paul goes on to say, is that that's not the end. To be comforted by God is not the end. But there's a purpose behind that. And look what he goes on in verse 4. He says, Who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The reason we are comforted is so that we, in return, can lead people to that comfort. Lead the people that are aching in this room. Guys, there are people around us that are at that very point where they're ready to give up. And those who have been strengthened by God, you're called to go and help lead those people to the God of all comfort. You who are spiritual, go and restore your brothers, what Paul says in Galatians. You who have been through it, go and lead these people to comfort. We need those who have experienced it to be in the lives of those who are struggling. Finally, we'll close with this last, last thing that Paul says that I think is absolutely amazing. After he gave his his whole story, and said this is why God, this was the reason behind the trial. He says this at the end, at verse 11, we'll actually say verse 10, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also, helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf, for the gift granted to us through many. Prayer changes things. And often we have not because we do not ask. And many of us will stay burdened, hurt, and the trial will be extremely hard. And we have to be faithful in prayer for ourselves and for our brothers and our sisters that are going through. That God may come and show them 
the comfort they need. God is a jealous God when it comes towards being the one that we need. And he may sometimes take us to the place where humanly you're unbearable to handle anything. Strength is gone, the hope is gone. At that point, our God wants to come in and show you his power. The God who raises, who can raise from the dead. So, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for the truth in it. And may it settle deep within us so that those in us, as we walk through our trials, will have the strength to continue this walk. The strength that comes from you and the strength that is everlasting. So um, make it real to us um, and comfort those today who are in that situation and who just need to feel that you're close. We ask this in your name. Amen.